Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f-ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bull artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. That U-Haul screaming at 94 miles per hour from New Hampshire to Charlotte, North Carolina was Ken Flo. Argus Integrated Defense, though, tells you not to flip the bird to any of the uh, other passengers because that could just incite something that uh, you're not prepared for. Great to have Ken Flo back in the hot seat Thursday, August 10th, 2023. Episode 428 of the Anakin Florian Podcast presented by DraftKings. Live on the DraftKings Network and the DraftKings YouTube channel. Kenny Florian has returned home, shaking his head every step of the way. How have the last 72 hours been for you? Johnny boy, Johnny boy. Listen, here's the thing. First of all, Penske truck, okay? Ah. It has a governor on it, so I can't go past 75. Of course, I was obeying, you know, the limits. So I am just literally trucking along in a 16-foot Penske truck, just like chugging along this thing. I'm upright. My my neck is numb. I'm doing, what, eight-hour drives from... New Hampshire, I went down, you know, passed through Chelmsford, Revere, Somerville, 
Fucking and all then, of them. You know, no, no, dude, all of them. But it was uh, it, it was a nightmare. And then just picking up stuff, which is uh, apparently not good for my back. Uh, but I'm here. Uh, I've survived the trip. Uh, and uh, man, what a doozy. But thank you guys for your patience. I'm sorry I wasn't able to be there for the first show of the week. But uh, here we are, man. Barely, barely alive. So I came to you in April of 2015. Well, that was when we launched. So I came to you actually in probably September 2014, almost 10 years ago, pitched you this Anakin Florian podcast. You're probably like interesting that his name's first. He hasn't fought a day in his life. Your broadcast partner, Sean O'Connell, reminded me recently that I haven't fought a day in my life. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> but uh, we're nominated for an award, kid. You know, I've never won any award in my life, kid. And I got to say, man, the Anakin Florian podcast getting nominated for this award uh, is really one of the more special things to happen to me, certainly in my broadcasting career. So uh, just want to give you a chance since you're back in the hot seat to uh, acknowledge the fighters only panel and the listeners before we get into uh, Corey Sandhagen and everything. else. I think we share the same sentiment, right? Uh, uh, as far as like it, it does bring up emotions be- because of when I go back to that time when we talked about you know, doing this podcast. And I'm so thankful that you, you know, really pushed for it for us to do it, um, despite all the other things we had going on. And um, it's been amazing. You know, I've been nominated for other stuff, you know, nominated for analysts. I could care less, honestly, about that stuff for whatever reason. But for the podcast, for how long we've been doing this, this is like our baby, right? And to see the fans, first of all, you know, really started out with a lot of like a, a really hardcore group that just loved this show so much. And, you know, they, they really promoted us more than anything else because we're probably not very good at promoting us, you know, to the time with TJ DeSantis, right, where we started this to now we, where we are with Cody Merrill and how much he upgraded uh, the show to just all new levels. Ray Longo, his participation, all the people who have participated in this show, Brian Petrie, who raises the level of everything, right? So all the all the little pieces of the puzzle um, to you as really the guy who is like the, the key part of this show, and, and I truly believe that, to manage this and guide this in this direction and to add a level of professionalism and excellence to this show, I, I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. And um, the fact that the fans out there and, you know, media outlet like like Fighters Only is recognizing us as one of the top MMA programs, man, it doesn't get better than that. I'm very thankful. And and thank you to all those uh, people out there have been supporting us, not just this year, but uh, since 2015, really. Beautifully put. And uh, you acknowledged a lot of powerful people there and our executive producer, Cody Merrow, at the controls but we both feel like producers as well. And certainly I've had uh, an arm in, in putting this show together every week, sort of my vision, like what would MMA fans want to listen to? And maybe what would they not want to listen to? Because I tell people all the time, fans that I meet, as far as the UFC broadcast is concerned, we're trying to be as listenable as possible for seven hours yeah. and not get in the way of the live sporting event. So when people pull me aside and say you add to the live sporting event or I don't like watching when you're not doing it, it's like, gosh, it hits me as if they say, you know, I love your children or something. You know what I mean? Because yeah, we're trying to not take away from the live sporting event. And the same goes with the podcast, right? Like we're trying to add to it. I understand people don't agree with me that Aljamain Sterling is the greatest bantamweight of all time. Uh, but I'm certainly not throwing that out there to uh, ruffle feathers or garner headlines. It's just one MMA fan, me, however high profile, with an opinion. So thank you all, though, for supporting the show. Uh, and to our wives, this feels extra good because it's like, hey, honey, you know what? Right? 
No, yes. I mean, our wives have been supportive. Like, this is actually kind of like a comedy radio bit, but it's like, hey, honey, Anakin Florian Podcast got nominated for the fucking best MMA programming. So, um, yeah, that's what we're doing in the master bedroom all these years. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. No. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, sincerely. And uh, however self serving that was, we truly appreciate it from the bottom of uh, our collective hearts. All right. So, a lot has transpired since we've talked to you. PFL 7. Had a lot of layers to it, of course. Impa Kasanganai and uh, Conan Silvera's son, Josh. Hopefully he doesn't get sensitive when we introduce him as such. Uh, Jesus Pinedo, I think he might have missed weight, but a big win for him over Bubba Jenkins. The Corey Sanhagen, Rob Font stuff. I don't even know where you want to begin, but I'm going to start with Sanhagen because certain referees might have handled this particular fight differently. Your guy, Ryan Hall, was in Sanhagen's corner. He was injured. Tricep, elbow. That was part of this equation. So was the preparation for Umar Nurmagomedov, his improved wrestling, the willingness and ability to take a fighter like Rob Font where he's least comfortable. What were your thoughts on on all the headlines and that actual performance from Corey Sandhagen in Nashville about uh, a week or so ago? Now, there are a lot of layers to this because, you know, first of all, we have to acknowledge the injury. Corey Sandhagen, it's my understanding he's getting surgery either today or tomorrow uh, to repair the torn uh, tricep. Um, and when you experience something like that, especially early on in a fight, it can be very difficult to handle it if you're not used to that level of adversity. And if you are, you still need the skills to be able to adjust your game plan. And if you don't have things like wrestling, jujitsu, striking, long range, medium range, short range, all those things, and your opponent wants to fight it in a certain modality, then you need those skills to be able to challenge that adversary in that realm. And, and this is the benefit of being so well-rounded, also having a certain level of intelligence and emotional stability to adapt during a fight. And to me, that's exactly what Corey Sanhagen did in a very tough spot. Font is no joke. He's extremely dangerous. And I think that he wanted to strike a lot more than what he showed. Certainly, grappling, I think, uh, was a part of the game plan. But I think he needed to really go into that realm that much more once he lost the use of that, I think, was it left arm or right arm? So, you know, it's um, I, I thought it was a brilliant performance based on that. Was it the most exciting? No, probably not. A lot of guys wanted to see a Sanhagen-Rob Font technical striking battle battle myself included but you also have to do what you need to do to win at the end of the day um, when people look back at your record they see an l or they see a w and the fact that he has a w over a very tough skilled and dangerous rob font at the end of the day is extremely important and for that I, I thought it was impressive you know it was similar to like you know justin gaethje dealing with pat eye poke he didn't deal with just the eye poke he dealt with the eye poke against a certain dustin poirier who was very dangerous so the ability to adapt stay stable emotionally right stay stick to the game plan um power through that and adjust I think is always impressive when you see it at the high level, you have to just clap your hands. So congratulations to Corey Sanhagen. How do you win a world title? You have to be able to do different things and handle yeah. different stylistic challenges. When Dominic Cruz was coming back from one of his prolonged absences, part of the reason the Casey Kenny fight appealed to him as he tried to build his way back up was that Casey Kenny was a southpaw. He wanted a six month training camp 
filled with sparring for southpaws and that type of preparation that would eventually be preparation that would be useful when he got to those title fights. And Corey Sandhagen is building this total package so that when he gets to the world title, he's ready to present his best version. And whomever is the champion will have to deal with a lot of different things. Brilliant, my man. That's exactly. And that's the other layer I wanted to hit on is having that experience and having to do that over the course of 15, 20, 25 minutes of utilizing wrestling, a skill that, you know, he's used before, but not to that extent in a fight. And the fact that he was able to do that is going to make him that much more comfortable. You think about how much cage time he got utilizing that wrestling. That is crucial moving forward. And that's what you're trying to achieve as a fighter. You want to get those different things. And if I'm trying to game plan for someone like Corey Sanhagen, now I got to worry about his wrestling. I mean, his timing looked phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was great. It, it really was for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, that last point that you mentioned, I think is super important. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture confused by words like malolactic fermentation. Yeah, we are too. So with 19 crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt sip smell routine or don't 19 crimes is the rebel of wine and culture telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes Wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. All right, I want to bring big gun Brian Petrie into the equation because he's here. He's always early. So why not go three wide? He's particularly easy on the eyes, is he not? I don't know. A lot of people were surprised at how big this gentleman was in Nashville, Tennessee. Big gun. I don't know if people should be all that surprised if I'm being totally honest. It's it, it just shocks people. It shocks people. I, it, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. The baby face, maybe? I don't know. It's the baby face. Baby yeah. face yeah. They're like, oh, dude, yeah. it's a big dude. Yeah. 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 Long goes on one leg. So it's nice that we have some added muscle on team Anakin sure. Florian. Yeah. We all understand the lethal nature of Kenny Florian as a human weapon, right? Mm-hmm. But now we have big gun Brian Petrie who truly will fuck you up. <laughs> I love when you say that. I gotta clip that. I gotta just start clipping that. That's gonna be like a soundbite of my yeah, phone. Look at those mitts. You don't want to get hit with those mitts. Like get hit with a lunchbox. What's look funny is thing. I don't have like I have. There's a picture of me um, with Fal, uh, Sal Frivola, right? My hands on his shoulders. Someone's like, look at the fucking hands on this guy. I don't really have the biggest hands. They're just thick. They're like polar bear thick. They're not long. They're not banana hands. They're just meaty. You know what I mean? Every part of my yeah. body is just thick. That's what it is. I'm just a thick guy. <laughs> So, uh, but I, I thought that comment was very funny because I've been a little self-conscious about the, the length of my hands for a while. So when yeah. that guy's like, look at the mitts, I'm like, I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. I'll take well, it. Well, you'll take that. The Lesnar width. 
hands yeah. big top to bottom. Cody, I kind of like the other look. We get the mosaic artwork in there. You know, I know Cody doesn't want any sort of dead stuff. Yeah, there we go. Get that fucking <laughs> mosaic right up there. Uh, this will not be a PG-13 episode. We're just going to go off the no. rails with my yes. foremost verbal crutch, which is the F word. So, but yes, I mean, having hugged Brian Petrie in Nashville, Tennessee, I can tell you that uh, he's not making 206. No, no. <laughs> So I'm not taking 265 in about a week. I got I got I got some I got some work to do. All right. So uh Kenny, Tatiana Suarez has intimated that Mick Maynard has said to her, you gotta pick a division. And certainly I think that is sage advice, if not an imperative from the promotion, as she tries to chase her first world title. But as you sort of spin her win over Jessica Andrade forward. Gosh, man, if she wouldn't be favored to be the champion in three UFC divisions right now. I mean, I don't know if that sounds like hyperbole, right? But, you know, she already beat Alexa Grasso. She wouldn't be favored to beat Valentina Shevchenko. And I understand that she would be giving up a lot of size against Juliana Pena and Raquel Pennington. But Tatiana Suarez is this unbelievable freestyle wrestler who's an outstanding striker as well. She can run. She's a cardio queen. She's the hardest worker in the room. She loves to lift weights. I could go on. Her boyfriend is Patchy Mix, the interim Bellator Bantamweight champion. Um, your thoughts on Tatiana Suarez, the ceiling, and everything else? I, I tell you what, um, I agree with you on the odds against Valentina Shevchenko, but uh, this guy would, would be picking her to win. I, and I have a sneaking suspicion maybe uh, BP would as well. I, I think she's such an interesting matchup for a lot of people. She has that singular skill set right of wrestling she'll always have that but what impressed me the most was her striking and she made a point to say i wanted to stand up i wanted to show people that i can strike so she's now gaining that level of confidence with her striking the fact that she st stood up with her and really just out teched her on the feet the, the the kicks the power kicks to that side the movement the footwork you know, the the shots and then, of course, the entries. She was hitting that takedown whenever she wanted, and I think she's always going to have that. Her timing might have been a little bit off on her takedowns from what we typically see from Suarez, but still, she is an absolute menace, man. And, geez, you know, yeah, you want to pick, you want her to pick a division, but she could potentially be a two-division champion in the UFC. I, I think she's that good just based on her grappling level alone, John. So I don't want to disrespect Amanda Lemos, who nine day days from now is going to fight Zhang Wei Li for the title in Boston. But, Bri, how yeah. do you handicap, say, Tatiana Suarez against Zhang Wei Li? Zhang Wei Li's made improvements in her grappling. I mean, that is something that she's really focused on. But I, I just I, I can't look past Tatiana Suarez, her range as well in that fight with Andrade. Like she's long arm, long legs, and she knew how to use her range. She's in her, she's out. You know, she's not getting hit by those big clubs. John Wei Lee's probably got the speed advantage, I imagine. She's obviously got cleaner boxing, but if it goes to the ground and John's on her back, we saw what Rose did to her. And I know Wei Lee is making improvements, but I think Tatiana Suarez is a different animal on top. So I, I would like Tatiana in that fight. I think uh, I think she would fare well in that fight. Uh, absolutely. I would uh, lay some hard-earned cash on her if I had to. I think you'd get a plus number. I think Zhang Wei yeah. Lee would be favored. That's a fascinating matchup. But Amanda Lemos... Yeah, she's got that uh, that 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 one punch, that yeah. undeniable one punch knockout power, and she's got a lot more than that too. Kenny, I had one other note on this here UFC fight night that I would like to ask you about. You see Diego Lopez submit Gavin Tucker by chance? Did you see this specimen, Diego Lopez? 
I, I missed I missed that, dude. I uh, unfortunately, but uh, I heard it. I saw some of the highlights, but uh, very very impressive. I didn't see the whole fight. So <clears throat> we had this. We had two submissions that you got to go back and watch: the Carlson Harris Anaconda submitting Jeremiah Wells to sleep, and good on Jason Herzog for being all over it because I certainly didn't think that Jeremiah was out. But this Diego Lopez who fought Mavsar Ivloyev harder than fucking hell. Goes out and submits Gavin Tucker, a Henzo Gracie Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in like 98 seconds. And uh, my goodness, this Diego Lopez, uh, he's got that what that emo haircut. You know? Yeah, I love total it. Package, I love it. Total package. All right. You were in the building, <clears throat> excuse me, in San Antonio, Texas for the uh, the PFL semifinals. So Impa Kasanganai, if ever there were a guy mentally forged and focused enough to be on the wrong end of the greatest knockout in UFC history, courtesy of Joaquin Buckley back in 2020 or so, it's this guy, Impa Kasanganai, now one win away from $1 million. I, I almost get emotional uh, thinking about it just because I, I, I've become friendly with Impa. And knowing his story, going from a guy that was on the highlight reel of one of the nastiest knockouts ever to where he is now at potentially winning a million dollars, cutting down a giant in Martin Hamlet, a guy who has been to the final before, tremendous wrestler, and just went out there, stayed, stayed, um, you know, patient, kept his composure throughout battled back to get back to his feet after some big takedowns. Hamlet is massive, dude. I mean, he would be big, almost at heavyweight if he decided to fight there. And we know Impa really is an inflated 205-pounder. He probably should be fighting at 185 pounds. And the way he handled himself in the fighter meeting and talking about, you know, he's a very religious guy, you know, strong Christian. And he was talking about how he just kept reading and thinking about uh, David versus Goliath and, you know, that story and how he planned on doing the similar thing to Martin. And that's exactly what he did. And that finishing sequence, the combination, I think like four out of five punches landed mm -hmm. clean for him up against the cage. Just nasty. And it was just it was one of those things where Hamlet was kind of in control. He was rushing a little bit, but he was winning that round. And then, boom, one little instance, you felt the momentum start to shift Impa's way, even though he was losing that round. And then that combination was just devastating. And uh, seeing him there with his family and his team, uh, the guys living in a yurt, you know, in <laughs> South Florida, trying to learn how to farm. And, um, you know, has what, just, what is a yurt? A yurt is like one of those. Um, it almost looks like a giant tent, it's like a circular tent. Mm -hmm. So no way. See, he's in Florida, dude. He's living in Florida, has like only the essentials, right? Crazy. He's living there, trying to learn how to farm. You know, he wants to do that later on in life and just working his ass off, you know, living in his car at one point. And uh, he's just gone all in and he's been very honest about his struggles, you know, and what he's experienced as a fighter, as a man. And to see where he's at now, dude, it's just such a great story. One, one of the best stories in MMA, in my opinion. And uh, he's on the verge of winning a, a million dollars, man. I ran into him at Dick's Sporting Goods within the last six months. He's the only guy that I run into or have run into multiple times in South Florida. I think it's three at this point in time. Yeah. <laughs> he was in the fishing and hunting section getting something for his fucking yurt, you know. <laughs> I'm buying a knife in case I see like a Florida panther <laughs> when I'm running and I see Impa Kasanganai. I say this all the time, right? One thing that's an advantage in mixed martial arts is big hands. Oh my god. Impa Kasanganai's hands are fucking enormous. Like I say Petrie will 
beach up. I mean, Impa will fucking do. Mm-hmm. His hands are enormous. Wow. For his size, it's crazy. That is surprising. I've never looked at his mitts before. I got to take a look at him. Dude, he shakes your hand. It swallows your hand. It's, oh, wow. it's, yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, congrats to Impa Kasanga and I. And uh, sometimes it's hard to be the son of a legend. And that's the reality for Josh Silvera, Ken Flo. If I could get your thoughts on his performance in uh, taking out Ty Flores with some violent knees sort of some throwback knees in a lot of respects. And uh, another guy who is, uh, I believe, one win away from a million dollars who will fight in Impa Kazanga. Do I have that right? Yeah, man, Anik just freaking does his homework inside and out. Yes, <laughs> uh, uh, J- Josh, Josh looked phenomenal, man. And he came in so confident, even the beginning of the year. And seeing the dynamic between him and his father, who, as you mentioned, is a legend, really a, one of the MMA pa- pioneers out of Brazil. And to see... They're dynamic. And he says, you know, when we're training, when we're fighting, I'm a coach. I'm not I'm no longer a father. That is my role. I you know, I, I don't consider him a son. It's like uh, that's the role that I need to be at in order for my son to succeed. And and he takes that and as soon as the fight's over, as soon as training's over, he's like, I'm the dad again. And it's just a beautiful dynamic of how they approach it. Um, and Josh Silvera is, is confident for very good reason. He's put so much more into this year as far as his training, his focus. He came away, you know, kind of with a sour taste in his mouth when he lost to his teammate, Omari Akhmedov, and he realized he needed to step his game up. And that's exactly what we've seen this year. He just looks sharper in all aspects. His kicks are way, way better. And this is a guy that is not going to be easy to take out. You know, talk about, you know, two absolute gentlemen in the final here between Josh Silvera and Impa Kasanganai. They're the two smallest guys in the division, but uh, here they are about to face off for a million dollars. So, uh, man, it, it, it's it's great. Great to see. And I'm glad that Impa's not competing at 85 and putting his body through that cut. Uh, yeah. I, I know he can make the weight, but uh, all right, good stuff there. One thing that I wanted to uh, ask you guys, and you don't have to come up with an answer. It's more a uh, a podcast poll question at Anna Florian Pod 888, whatever the fuck. So what's the worst UFC fight that you have ever seen at Anna Florian Pod? And somebody brought this to my attention in the wake of Corey Sandhagen versus Rob Font, which most certainly was not that, Okay. Not even top 10, top 15 worst fight in UFC history at all, right? I don't yep. even want to bring that up in that context necessarily out of respect to those guys. But for me, I believe the worst fight I ever called was with Brian Stan, if I'm not mistaken, Gabriel Gonzaga versus Constantini Roken. So go to UFC Fight Pass, put yourself through the 15 or 17 minutes, and tell me that's not the worst fight you've ever seen. <laughs> right? does anything yeah. come to mind? Yeah. Right. There are some historically bad ones, right? Francis Ngannou, sure, Derek sure. Lewis. So there's some Caleb Starnes bullshit back in the day that people talk yeah. about, right? But core, yeah. that was my anything, that was my pool. The case. All right, talk that to was me, in what? Cincinnati. I was in Cincinnati pay per view, UFC 77. I was there. Nate Corey, Caleb Starnes. Nate's running around the cage. He's doing this, and Caleb like ran from the entire time. That's bad. Uh, uh, Carla Rose was was another one that gets up there oh. as well. Um, there's a Gabriel Gonzaga one back in the day. I can't remember what it was. He ended up winning by knockout, but during the broadcast, Rogan was like calling out Wesley Snipes. Like, Hey, Wesley, I really want to do the fight. Let's go. <laughs> and it was Mike Goldberg, Joe Rogan. I forget what paper you was. It was, it was single digits. I want to say it was in the sixties and Gabriel Gonzaga just exploded on this guy to, like in the third round. That was pretty bad, but it, we got a decent ending, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of ones I don't love, but the ones that stick out the most would be the Caleb Stars, Nate Corey, because I was there live. 
that one was 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 not great for me um and the cincinnati crowds did not like that one that's yeah for sure dude i would add absolutely i'm with you on that uh if we want to go a little bit further back dan severn ken shamrock way back <sighs> yeah, in the day yeah. which was terrible and then two of my favorite people in the whole world and two of the best fighters uh actually had a terrible fight Damian Maya, Anderson Silva. Yep. We kind of forget about that. The fans were booing for like 99% of not that great, fight. Not a great fight. Uh, and yeah. these are two highly skilled, great fighters, but the way that they matched up and the way it played out that night, it just wasn't great. So you'll get some, you'll get some weird ones, but like mm-hmm. Engano, Derek Lewis was the one that I think everyone would just kind of scratch in their head. Like mm-hmm. how could these guys ever have a boring fight based wow. on their skills and who they are? Yeah. I remember in 2013, I called Jake Shields and maybe Damian Maya. Kenny, we might have been on that call together and uh, (laughs) people were critical. Don't ever give me Jake Shields is boring. He will maul you. He will you. He will maul you through the fucking canvas. He's a beast, dude. (laughs) He'll maul you on the Internet, too, if you come at him. That, too. So was I wrong in saying that Jesus Pinedo missed weight, Kenny? Did I have that incorrect? You are absolutely correct, my friend. I think 146.4. I think they may have listed him at 147 or something. 146.4. He had a heck of a time getting from Peru to the United States. I think it took him two days. Wow. So he 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 says that really was the big problem. Um, and he said he he said he was 15 minutes away from making the weight. You know, a b- bunch of excuses. He should have made weight. You know, but uh, the, the flight certainly did not help. But I tell you what, he reminds me of a Tony Ferguson in his prime, maybe a little bit more technical in some ways. He's not the most technical guy, but man, he's got a, he's got a look in his eyes where you know he's seen some crap and he's not trying to beat you. He's trying to hurt you. He's going to get in your face and he's going to force you to try to do something about it. And he, he's just angry, dude. And he's not out there to play. He's not out there to win. He's out there to destroy. And uh, man, did he do that to Bubba Jenkins, who's a highly skilled wrestler, mm-hmm. highly skilled fighter. And Bubba just couldn't do anything to him. So Pinedo, though, does go through to the final despite the weight miss. Is that accurate? Wow. He gets wow. fine. So this is how the fight started. This, you know, people were like, how the heck is he able to? So he was down one point on the scorecards to start the fight. So not only did he basically lose a point in round one, but if that ended up being a draw, he would have lost the fight. Does that make sense? So he was at a disadvantage. He was fined, obviously, as as he should have, um, and he was down a point to start that fight. And on top of that, if it ended up being a draw, the, the fight would have gone to his opponent, Bubba Jenkins. These promoters are much smarter than me, but I don't know, Brian, man. I don't know. Bubba <laughs> Jenkins, man. We got to talk, man. I mean, come on, man. No, but and, – and I will say, right? I mean, the way Ken Flo talks about these Peruvian fighters, I mean, my yeah, goodness. Passion. There's passion there. Jeez. I love it. <laughs> this guy's making excuses for, for the Peruvian fighters. Hey, Dr. Florian. <laughs> Gus. Dr. <laughs> Gus. Hey, Dr. Florian, if you're still listening to this godforsaken program, your son has a tremendous bias towards Peruvian fighters. I let it go the other time, but this Jesus Pinedo stuff, jeez. Oh, oh man. Guilt, guilty as charged, Your Honor. Uh, last yeah. thing I had, and Petri, you can feel free to piggyback on yeah. this guy or not. Uh, Kenny, Nate Diaz against Jake Paul. I thought Nate fought rather valiantly at times. You know, obviously there was some off-putting behavior in there, but I I thought Nate was competitive. I thought Nate was in shape. Uh, He just fought a a bigger, stronger man that, as Dominic Cruz likes to say, 
continues to, you know, pluck off like wounded animals as, as opposed to, you know, guys that are maybe closer to their fighting primes or, uh, or his size. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh, when you look at Nate Diaz's style, striking you know, or p- particularly boxing is the best part about his striking game, right? It's like you fit, you face a Nate Diaz, you kick his legs, you, you kind of exploit the kicking game a little bit, yada, yada, yada. But this was one where, first of all, fighting in a boxing fight for the first time, you're going to be rusty. It's like taking a guy who's got great MMA skills and then just throwing him into a UFC fight. It's hard. It's one thing to do it in training. It's quite another to do it when the lights are brightest and to do it against a strong, tough guy. And Jake Paul is no easy task. I think he had an injury heading into that as well. I would have liked to seen him utilize his jab way more. And it just it didn't look to be very effective at all. And I think the speed and power advantage for Jake Paul was significant. Nate Diaz has been fighting a very long time. And um, I think in some ways, if we're talking about the financial benefits of it all, this was a this was an even better scenario because Nate can say now, all right, well, you beat me in boxing. Let's do it in MMA. That's really what I do. And, and he could do that now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Nate had some excuses heading into that, but it is no easy task having a professional boxing match against anybody for the first time. You're, yeah. you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be so sharp. But, uh, man, Jake Paul, he's way tougher than people think. I don't think he's the most technical boxer in the world, right? But as far as what he's achieving out there and how he's executing, yeah. dude, it, it's very, very impressive. Um, I, And I've been a hater a little bit. I have. You know, we've talked about it. But, man, it, he's – He's turning me around. I'll tell you that he's in shape, right? The only thing that I would really knock him on would be the strength of schedule, right? Fight more people that maybe put you in a position to be the betting underdog, right? Like when Ken Flo's going to Brazil to fight Vitor Shaolin Hibero, right? Like Ken Flo wants to be the underdog, right? You know, we're not trying (laughs) to grapple Joe Lozon and be like minus 180. Just kidding, Joe. (laughs) Just kidding, right? But Ken Flo's trying to be the betting underdog and I would love to see Jake Paul in a situation yeah. as maybe the betting underdog, but there's no denying the hard work. And I, I do think that uh, he has effectively changed the game in a lot of respects. And I have a lot of respect for him and uh, the way he's gone about his business, a lot of respect for Logan Paul as well, putting his body out there in, in the yeah. professional wrestling realm and uh, you know, prime beverage and everything else. It's uh it's pretty impressive. The whole empire. Mm-hmm. So Brian Petrie, yeah. uh, before we move forward yes. in terms of uh, Jake Paul, Yes. And Nate Diaz and Matt the Immortal Brown. So Dominic Cruz does not like my suggestion of Matt Brown because yeah. Matt Brown is in his forties, right? Mm-hmm. I said this earlier in the week, and I, I, you know, I've been texting Dom like Google Getty images of Matt Brown just looking like he's about to like eat another man's flesh and take his soul. So, like, do you think Matt Brown? How do you think Matt Brown fares against? Jake Paul, Cincinnati's finest Matt Brown. Well, he's he's not from Cincinnati. He's from Columbus. Columbus. Uh, two things: we got to get a Joe Lozon shot counter on the on the podcast. As many times Joe or John pokes Joe, it's all good fun. We all love Lozon, but it comes and it makes me tickle and laugh every single time. Secondly, I was in the same room as Matt Brown about 
2009 up in Westchester, Ohio. I did not get the chance to spar him. He was doing some slow, flow sparring with a dip in his mouth. I swear to God, he had no mouthpiece in a big old honk right here, and he's just doing some huh. slow stuff. Very funny. However, Matt versus Jake Paul, I don't love it. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to see side with Dom Cruz. I want to see Jake fight someone his size. Matt is, you know, he could fight 85, but he isn't the biggest guy in the world. He's mean as shit. He's a man. He's in his 40s. MMA, sure. Give me MMA. I like that. But in a pure boxing, eh, I, I, I don't have an appetite for it, if, if I'm being honest with you. But I do want to see Jake fight somebody at some point real. Um, I mean, he did the Tommy Fury test, who's kind of real and, and failed. But I agree with Kenny. You know, here's a guy who is improving, has some tools to his game. But he's not the cleanest at anything. He is tough, you know. And I was surprised he went ten rounds. You know, that was that was the first time he went yeah. ten rounds. I thought he'd fade. He didn't bounce in that tenth round. So, uh, but you can't beat Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz after round one goes, okay. So I'm not going to win a boxing match. I'm going to turn my back. I'm going to showboat. I'm going to do a guillotine. I'm going to show my ass like I do in all my fights, and I'm going to win the crowd. Fuck the fight. I'm going to win the crowd, and that's what Nate does. So, uh, people, people, hardcore Diaz fans, maybe not as hardcore as John the tattoo. They're saying he won the fight. Diaz won the fight. You know what I mean? That, that's, yeah. that's the theme on Reddit and, and Twitter. Oh, he won the fight. So, um, but yeah, I want to see Jake Paul against someone his own size. You know what I mean? Give him a real cruiserweight. Give him someone big in there. Tired of these 55ers coming up. And there he is right there. Look at him. Mean as shit. What, what yeah. about, the, dude, the level of toughness, the amount of toughness and gameness in Nate Diaz. Crazy. Yeah. It's just insane. Yeah. It is insane. Like, how many times do we need to talk about his legendary chin, his legendary toughness? Huh. All those things are valid. And I don't think I think we run out of words yeah. to be able to describe that. Very few people like you could be tough for three years. You could be tough for five years. Like, and that's like, mm. wow, it's a press seven years. Like, you're ridiculous. Ten years. Like, he's been that dude since day one. Yeah. And yeah. There will never be another Nathan Diaz, man. Nope. You're right. So, Kenny, real quick, because uh, I got a heart out at 55 today. Yeah, Maybe buddy. we complete it till 58 for the great listeners of the Anakin Florian podcast. How do you handicap a mixed martial arts contest between Jake Paul and Nate Diaz based upon your knowledge right now? Right. Uh, gosh, well, listen, striking, he's still going to be a problem. Jake Paul does have a level of wrestling. You know, how he integrates it into MMA, I don't know. Uh, of course, you got to look at that that uh, high elbow guillotine, the, the front chokes of Nathan Diaz. His jiu-jitsu is serious. Even if he got to his back, like that's o- almost might be the play against someone like Jake Paul. So I don't know if I was going to handicap that. I would say what? Uh Maybe Nate Diaz minus two twenty, something like that, two fifty. I don't know. I mean, this isn't my specialty, John. You're no, I, I well, and when I say Brian's handicap, just la- laughing at me like, oh. <laughs> no, I appreciate you throwing yeah. a money line out there yeah. because okay, honestly, when I ask you, you to handicap, no, thank you. Okay. When I ask you to handicap it, I'm not necessarily gotcha. asking you to give me a hard number. Just how do you see that fight playing out? Right, we know Jake has some wrestling chops i guess to whatever degree but certainly yeah. there's been no wrestling maintenance for him but right. he also would be wearing a four ounce glove uh but you can't yep. knock out nate diaz and i would agree with diaz army he did win the fight no yeah. i'm just I'm trying to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right well let us uh let us spin it forward because we got another ufc fight night coming up this weekend vicente luque and rafael dos anjos doish anjosh 
or the men on the marquee. We do have a pronunciation of the week, despite the fact that our great listener, Bruce Marshall, does not enjoy this segment. Sorry, Brucey. Oh, well, <laughs> he has ideas. We appreciate the programming suggestions. There you go, Bruce. <laughs> so uh, this woman fights Poliana Viana on the main card this weekend in Las Vegas. So, uh, Bri? Yeah. She spells her first name I-A-S-M-I-N. Last name, it looks like Lucindo or Lucindo or something, but uh, mm-hmm. we would love to hear your yeah. tones on this name, and then we'll hear uh, the file. So out of respect for the program and the show in this segment, I did I did video, obviously watched tape on her. Uh, I muted the intro. I muted uh, someone pronouncing your name. So everything in my dumb Midwest body wants to pronounce this wrong, but I'm going to try to use my educated brain, my Spanish one, two years in a row brain, and I'm going to go <laughs> Yasmin Lucindo. Yasmin, he says. All right, let's uh, let's hear what she says. Let's care. <laughs> no, no, no. Yasmin Lucindo. Oh, Yasmin Lucindo. I'm not too far off there. Yeah. Go get the square. Oh, You're on uh, fire. I'm on fire, babe. Let's go. I didn't even ask the guy who owns 52% of Anakin Florian LLC for his opinion because you absolutely you murdered go. it in the best of ways. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I needed that one. I needed that one. It's crazy. My brother and his wife have been sort of trying to help the business, but you know, we got a lot of big things coming and they mm-hmm. said they think Kenny should get 52%. <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> Unbelievable. This guy's driving from fucking... New Hampshire to Charlotte, I'm churning out content and they're telling me that they think, you know, <laughs> it makes here. perfect sense yeah. to me, I yeah. tell you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. All right. So one thing that I did drop the ball on uh, is updating the exact standings. I do know that Ken Flo had a monster week. You both mm-hmm. did, but Ken Flo was six and one. So yeah. I apologize. I had those in my Monday script. I don't have them with with. Me here today, but you guys absolutely did great, uh, and particularly on the Ken Flo side. Yeah, Brian Petrie, you had only one loss on the MMA side. You did throw out a play on Nate Diaz, so that, uh, yeah. you know, just had a little fun with that. We understand. Yep. Uh, all right, but let's get into it. We got uh, six selections for you folks here today. These odds right now from DraftKings Sportsbook. Main card opener, Josh Fremd. I'm not your girlfriend, Seth. I'm your father. Josh Fremd, minus 345, Jamie Pickett, plus 275. Kenny, I'm going to start with you here. Picking this fight in some part, I think, to track how Pickett responds after what was a high-profile loss to Bo Nickel. That was at UFC 285 back in March. A lot of layers to that matchup with Bo and that fight and that fight week, but it was his third straight loss. Now he finds himself plus 275, seemingly trying to save his job here uh, against the prohibitive favorite Josh Fremd out of Factory X. Ken Flo, Fremd, Pickett. Do you have a play? You know, I, I think um, this is an interesting underdog uh, in some ways. I think that uh, Jamie Pickett uh, definitely has the ability to play spoiler. And, and I definitely want to track things throughout fight night because I think that this potentially may be a, a good uh, value bet on Pickett. I'm still going to go the way of Fremd. I just think that, um, you know, he's had some tough opposition as well uh pickett has as well um so they both have decent amount of experience i think fremd might be a little bit cleaner in some areas um but i'm gonna go with fremd uh i'll, I'll take i'll take the favorite here but I, i'm gonna i'm gonna track this i i uh, i reserve the right to change my mind <laughs> later on in the week. yeah oh, so if i'm handicapping this fight and i'm watching film 
So Frem submitted Cedricus Dumas in March, right? But there's a lot of layers to that win. Like Dumas already right now is exponentially the defensive grappler that he was that night. Frem, <clears throat> though, comes from a very good camp factory X. And so you got to think that he's going to present at times here early in his UFC career, a much improved version every time out. But minus 345 against a guy fighting for his job, potentially. Mm-hmm. And not to say that Fremd is. And I guess, you know, Billy Q says they're all must wins. But I don't know. That's a big number next to Josh Fremd. We turn it over to big gun Brian Petrie. Which way are you going here? Yeah, huge number. I mean, the number makes me want to r- run away. However, I am actually a, a big supporter and friend of, uh, or not friend, excuse me, fan of Fremd. Um, before his UFC career, look at his record. He fought some really good guys and looked really good and in in, came on up to the LFA. And he was the guy. Then he ran into RoboCop, got knocked out, won one, then got signed to UFC, and then you know ran to Fluffy, and then the weird uh, Treshawn Gore. I mean, Treshawn Gore took his fucking neck off. Um, and then rebounded well against Dumas. But, you know, again, you know, that's like John said, that has some layers to it. Uh, from 6'4", big guy, long range, you know. Jamie Pickett, though, you know, Wilmington's own, baby. You know, one of my favorite cities in the world, North Carolina. I don't know what he can do to win here. I don't think his striking's good enough. I don't think his grappling's good enough. You know, when he, when he beat o- Ugly Man Holmes – he pushed him against the cage and won a decision, right? It was kind of an ugly fight. And, and Jamie does have some pop. He's got some good kicks, gets some power. But against a guy who's tall, long rangey like Frem, who has submission skills as well, I'm going to go with Frem. And then obviously this doesn't count towards the points against Kenny. But, you know, for the listeners, I really do like Frem by uh, some kind of submission as well. I think we'll catch him. He's got a real good rear naked choke, long body on the ground. Uh, I see this touching the ground and Frem getting a submission here. So uh, give me Josh Frem, boys. Always looking out for the listenership, many of whom don't want to lay $34.50 to win $10. Right. All right, next up at middleweight, Tafan Shukwi, minus 142, AJ Dobson, plus 120. So Dobson, the Mark Coleman protege, lives in trains out of Columbus, Ohio. Off to an 0-2 UFC start here, Brian, despite mm-hmm. some obvious promise upon signing. Shukwi fighting out of Temple Hills, Maryland, by way of Cameroon, 2-1 and one in the UFC to start. Now 2-3 and three after back-to-back losses for him. Most recently to Carlos Alberg, June 25th. Chukwe Dobson, I'd imagine Brian's probably going to lay with the Ohio kid, but maybe not. Who do you have? Hey, you would think so. But, you know, Dobson's got a padded record, right? He looked good on the contender series. He's got to finish. Coming to UFC, he's falling short. Cardio there is his corners yelling to do things he's not doing. He has fought some tough competition in the UFC, but the volume's not there. The cardio's not there. He's got an explosive double leg. The first round is going to be his best round. I think Tafan's going to take over. You look at Tafan, I know he's got some, some losses on his record as well, but high volume, right? Cutting down to 185 from 205. High volume. The guy's mean in there as well. A little worried about his takedown defense in this fight, but I think Dobson's going to fade. I think Tafan's going to take over. I like Tafan in this fight for sure. Uh, I almost doubled. I almost uniting him but i'm gonna i'm gonna step back i'm gonna step back just to find single baby so dana white doesn't like when we refer to fighters by yeah, just their first I, name right? Right? which i understand it makes sense yeah, right i get it you're going to because the last name ken flow is spelled n-c-h-u-k-w-i i did just solid by not trotting that out for the pronunciation of the week in part because yeah. i think we've used it before ken flow Tafan Chukwi, just drop the fucking N, BP. <laughs> Tafan Chukwi, minus 142, AJ Dobson, plus 120. Ken Flo, who do you have? Yeah, um, I like Chukwi here as well. I, I think that um, just his striking, I, I think he has got a tremendous amount of power. And like Brian, I fear for him in round one because Dobson certainly has the ability to overwhelm him with takedowns and grounded pound. 
Um, but uh, and he might do that, you know, maybe somewhere between mid midway of round two as well. But uh, I, I do think he does have some conditioning issues, pacing issues, uh, efficiency issues. Uh, and on the feet, I think that's where Chukwe can really expose him. So if he can at least get him to work round one, survive that uh, round, or maybe even catch him on the feet early, then I think Chukwe wins this fight. But um, yeah, I'm leaning towards Chukwe as well. I, I think he takes this. All right, next up is Strawweight, the 21-year-old out of Fortaleza, Brazil, the aforementioned Yasmin Lucindo, minus 205, Poliana Viana plus 170. So eight career knockouts for Lucindo. A lot of jiu-jitsu experience I was looking up this morning as well. Uh, but her opponent and fellow Brazilian, Poliana Viano, has a lot of UFC experience at this point in time, Bryce. She's figured mm-hmm. a lot of things out in there. Beating the people that she's supposed to beat. She's won three of four, all by finish. Even her UFC record at four and four. Pretty good test for her as an underdog here against the upstart Lucindo. Which way are you going? Yeah, so I can pronounce her name, Yasmin Lucindo. There you go, John, first and last. Check all the boxes. Uh, I love this fight. I I think Lucindo looks really good against Yasmin Uruguay. Uruguay? How do you pronounce that uh, last name? That's good enough either. Either one. She looked good. She lost that fight, but she looked good. And she looked, you know, she's young and she's aggressive and she's tough. And then her last fight, when she comes off the victory, she looked very good too. She's showing her well rounded skills. She can hit some takedowns. She's heavy on top. She'll let you up. She, She punches you in the face. She's got good striking. Maybe limited to uh, her striking a little bit, but it's good for being 21 years old. Then you got Viana here who will take your arm home no matter what. Like she got slept on a little bit. She came in as this beautiful girl, lost a couple fights. Now she's taking arms homes and she's fighting some really pretty good competition. So if it goes to the ground, I'm going to be a little scared. I'm going Lucindo here, hoping she stays safe and stuff. But 21 years old in MMA, they make mistakes. So an arm bar could be possible here for the uh, listeners and viewers at home. Viana by armbar and DraftKings Sportsbook going to be a, probably a good or at least submission going to be a good plus number. But give me Lucindo here. I like her skills. I like her on the feet. And I think she's going to win this fight probably by decision. All right. Yasmin Lucindo minus 205. Poliana Viana plus 170. She's certainly not taking Ken Flo's arm home. I mean, let's no, be clear. No, 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 no. Of course not. Kenny. My, uh, furniture, my furniture took my arm home. It's <laughs> Yeah, uh, Kenny, uh, weight limit 116 pounds here. Poliana Viana, Yasmin Lucindo, who do you like? Yeah, you know, Brian did a great breakdown yet again. I, I think that Viana certainly has the ability to submit her. Um, you you got to watch out for those submissions, those arm bars, uh, as Brian talked about. Lucindo, though, you know, she's, she's high energy on the feet, man. I think she moves pretty well. She does get a little reckless at times, but Viana, for me, on the feet, unless she's made, you know, big improvements, I think that's where she can get caught. And there's times where she kind of looks a little bit out of her element there. Um, Lucindo, I, I think, has got some decent pop. I, I think she should be able to control it, just has to really fight smart and uh, and avoid those exchanges a little bit on the ground. But I think on the feet, she has the ability to certainly get the win there by just outpointing her, maybe, maybe rocking her enough. But she's got to stop those takedowns too. So um, I'm going with Lucindo here as well. Sorry. Oh, you're good. Next up, featured bout light heavyweight. Khalil Roundtree Jr. has won three in a row. As such, he is the minus 180 favorite here against Chris Dawkins, plus 150. This fight was to happen June 10th at UFC 289. Dawkins pulled out due to injury eight days before the fight. God, that name. I just can't help but go Northeast accent. <laughs> <laughs> I got to focus here, Ken Flo. 
<laughs> so Doc is pulled out about a week before the fight, rebooked here. Uh, now Doc is trying to take Khalil Roundtree Jr.'s number 13 ranking. Brian Petrie, Roundtree Jr., Doc is for you, my man. I've been getting so many DMs because they're like, hey, where's the Anik? Where's the Pickums? Where's the Pickums for the Anik and Florian? And everyone after that message is hammer Roundtree, hammer Roundtree. And I get it, right? Chris Dawkins is on three fight skid, three fight knockout skid at heavyweight dropping down. Typically, I don't love when heavyweights drop down because they're fighting bigger guys who are just a little more athletic. And Khalil Roundtree is explosive, athletic. Haven't really seen that from Dawkins. Not to mention, he's his black belt. He's his great black belt that we always, when we cap him, we're like, he's got this black belt. He's got zero takedowns in the UFC. We haven't seen it. Could he take Roundtree down? Sure. Are we going to see it? I hope so. Because if he stays on the feet, he's going to get picked apart. He's going to get those baseball bats in his ribs. It's going to be bad. It's going to be four TKO losses if he does that. The reason I'm not loading up a Roundtree and the reason I'm not throwing up my five-unit signal right now is because he's a little bit inconsistent. There's times where I'm all over Roundtree and he falls flat. Marcin Prakniko fight, perfect example, right? I'm still paying that one back. Um, so... I'm going to go Roundtree. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm not going to go crazy. I do think Roundtree wins, and I think I'll sprinkle probably some kind of KO because that's kind of the theme that's been going on right now. But, yeah, give me clear Roundtree. Ken Flo, Chris Dawkins, 0-3 since he declined Cody Merrow's suggested nickname, Chris Dark Horse Dawkins. He <laughs> liked it, but he respectfully declined. And, uh, you know, certainly the Anakin Florian podcast family took that as a little bit of a slight, but we move on. He moved on 0-3 since. How do you think he fares this weekend against Khalil Roundtree Jr.? Yeah, Cody, we're good, dog. Okay? <laughs> Keep your nickname to yourself, kid. Okay? <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> uh, no, I like it, Cody. I think he made a mistake there. Um, and he may have made a mistake here by taking this fight against Roundtree. I think Roundtree is a wordplay right there. I like that. I like that. I work with John Anik for too many years. <laughs> All right, listen. Yeah, so I, I think that Roundtree is is really explosive, man. He's got some serious pop in his punches. His leg kicks are absolutely nasty. Talking about a guy that when he's on his game, like alluding to kind of what BP said, uh, he's nasty. He's evil with some of the things he wants to do to you. And I, if he keeps that, I think this is an easy win for him. Unfortunately, I think Chris has kind of dropped off a little bit. I haven't seen an evolution in his game. And I, and I think he may have lost a bit of confidence as well. And you wonder after experiencing some of those knockouts, up a weight class, all those things, how that has affected him as a fighter. Uh, great dude, but I think this is a tough one for him. Um, I'm going to put a unit on round three, just nice. one. Um, but uh, yeah, give me Khalil here. Khalil Roundtree Jr. is one of the scariest men on this roster. Cody just wrote in the private chat, Thailand Roundtree was a mythical level yeah. fighter. And if I'm that listing is- like the 10 scariest guys at heavyweight on down, when this dude's on, he's frightening. But I do think Dawkins will realize some confidence just being down at 205. We'll see how it goes. These guys have been on each other's respective radars for a while. Obviously, the fight yeah. broke twice, so we'll see how it happens. All right, co-main event at featherweight. I'll admit to being a bit surprised at the line here, big gun. Mm-hmm. Not going to tell you which way, though. Hakeem Dawadu minus 230. Mm-hmm. Cub Swanson plus 190. 23rd UFC appearance for Killer Cub. 13 of those UFC wins. He has been stopped in two of his last three. Yeah. Jonathan Martinez, though, was on fire and mm-hmm. stopping him with strikes last October. Um, been a while for Swanson. Dawadu out of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He can really fight. 
Like when he's on, he's really, really good. But seven of his last eight have gone the distance. That can make you somewhat forgettable. Here he gets a big fight, big name, co-main event against a guy who's got a fight in the Hall of Fame. Brian Petrie, who do you yes. love? Man, Cubby, Cubby Swanson. I, I I love him from the WEC days. Interesting dude, you know, good looking guy, cool guy. Fights interesting with his with his stance, uh, stances, his power, the way he lunges. It's very unique. He's was one. He's one of a one early on. You know, Father Time catches us all. Mean Hakeem Dawadu might need to give back the mean if he doesn't get a finish here because the guy has one finish in the UFC, a whole bunch of split decisions. This is a fight he can go out and finish. Jonathan Martinez kicked Cub Swanson's legs off. Hakeem Dawadu has good kicks. He has good punches. He has good cardio. He just hasn't put it together. I loaded up on him against Julian LaRosa, who's been chinny in the past. He lost that fight by decision. This is a guy that really needs to get going. Maybe a co-man event spot here is good at what's going to do it. This was the guy, Canada's best hope, before Mike Mallott came on and said, no, 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 I'm really the guy, right? So Dawadu here, they're setting him up for a big, big win here. Uh, minus 230 scares me because of the inconsistency. I can see a play on, on, on Cub Swanson, but unfortunately, I do think Cub maybe uh, isn't the fighter that he was, and I think you know maybe if he takes a hard shot, he's not going to be digging a look to get back like he used to be able to. So give me Dawadu. Um, again, this is going to be another. I'm a little scared today. I've been a little, a little baby back bitch, not willing to put some <laughs> units on it. But wow. uh, I like Dawadu. This was going to be a five unit spread for me. But the more I looked into Dawadu and the more these split decisions are coming up and the way these judges are, I, I don't like it. But I like Dawadu just as a single pick. Kemphomin Hakeem Dawadu, 32 years of age as he comes up on his 10th UFC appearance. Last fought nearly a year ago, UFC 279, September 2022. He also faced Mobsor Iavloyev in 2021. I think to Brian's point, though, you got to put someone away every uh, every few years. And if you won't take it from me, take it from uh, the I Finish Fights guy, Ken Flo. Dawadu, minus 230, Swanson plus 190. Who do you like? I think Brian makes some some really valid points there. and couldn't agree more. I think that uh, Dawadu, though, probably looking at this match, and, and this is no disrespect to Cub Swanson, who I love as a person. He's been... Uh, a legend in this game, but uh, he's been fighting a very long time. And, and you got to wonder, you know, is he going out there uh, to cash a check? You know, what's his motivation like? You know, all that stuff. And, and, and I'd love to see an awesome Cub Swanson. And Cub Swanson in his prime, I think he wins this fight. The problem is, I don't think he's in his prime right now. And if I'm Dawadu and I'm looking at this fight, this is the kind of the one that's going to be a confidence builder. You, you know, this is the one you say to yourself, hey, I, I, this is a fight I can win. I know I can win, and I know I can finish if I stay aggressive and I stay sharp and, and I use striking variety and striking volume to overwhelm someone like Cub. And I think he can do that. I'm going to put two units hey, on Dawadu. Ken Flo's not scared. Look at this fucking guy. I love it. He's just so happy to not be in that fucking Penske right Dude, now. I tell you. <laughs> 100%. I do use that F word as a verbal crutch. Main event between ranked welterweight contenders, 38-year-old Rafael Dos Anjos out of Rio de Janeiro, minus 118, taking on Brazilia's Vicente Luque, who is minus 102. 35 UFC wins between these two gentlemen. As many of you know, RDA was the lightweight champion back in 2015, 2016. He made his UFC debut against Jeremy Stevens, November 15th, 2008 at UFC 91, the same night Kenny choked out Joe Daddy Stevenson live on pay-per-view in the co-main event. 
So that tells you how long RDA has been around. He's an absolute legend. Still winning fights, coming off a mm-hmm. neck crank of Brian Barberina last December. Now he is a slight favorite here against Vicente Luque, who's been a little bit up and down, but has been a force in this division. Brian Petrie, how about a yeah. main event selection? You like Luque or Dos Anjos? I love this fight. Surprised I haven't fought before. I get it, though. Jafia uh, Dothanyoth has popped up and down. You know, you got you to gotta put a lot of tongue on the on Dothanyoth. Um, he's, hopped, he's hopped up and down to 55 and 70. Uh, so it makes sense. And Luque, you know, has uh, it, been just a 70. He's a good size 70. Luque coming off a brain bleed, though, which is something I just found out like last week, which is scary over the Jeff Neal fight. He got knocked around a little bit. That was the first time he's really shown. I mean, he's been knocked out before, but that was when he like he was getting clipped with everything. And that was scary. You know, usually relies on his chin. Hopefully he's taking the time to really work on his defense, really maybe not spar much this camp, go out there against Dosanjos because I like him in this fight. I like him. I think Dosanjos, he's really coming on and he's trying to wrestle. He's trying to submit guys. He hasn't had a knockout win since 2015. That was all the way back with Donald Cerrone. So the hands are there. He knocked around Moicano in short notice, but he's not putting guys away on the feet anymore. He wants to get them down. He wants to submit them. Problem is Luque can get taken down. He pops right back up. He's good on the ground. His dart stroke is phenomenal. So RDA has got to be careful about that, even though he's a high level uh, black belt himself, but on the feet, I just think Luke is cleaner. You know, I'm a little worried about his defense, the brain bleed stuff. Hopefully that got cleared up. I'm sure it is. If he's getting cleared to fight. Um, but I like Luke here. I was actually surprised that he was, I'm at plus 100. I know he's, he's, he's popped the even now or close to even. I was surprised, but I thought he'd be a little bit of a favorite here. I know he's coming off an ugly loss, but I think he's going to piece up those Daniels here. I think he's going to, probably finish them sometime in the mid third round here i think it's gonna be a fun fight until luke finds that uh that finishing sequence and uh yeah i like vicente luke here big time all right we're giving you minus 102 but you and i are on the same team in terms of trying to not crush a glass bottle on our heads at the end of the year losing this challenge (laughs) ken flo we'll need a main event selection from you rafael dos anjos minus 118 luke is minus 102. He had won four in a row before this recent two-fight slide against elite competition, Bilal Muhammad and Jeff Neal. Who do you like in the main event, Ken Flo? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, I think that uh, Luke, his gameness can never be questioned, his heart, his determination. Sometimes with RDA, I, I think you could claim you can question it a little bit. You know, when things get dark, when things get bleak, I think sometimes RDA will fade and buy into that a little bit. Luke, he won't. However, I do think RDA is a little bit more defensively responsible. He's not as reckless as Luke. Luke is more dangerous, but I don't. I, but I also think Luke is more reckless. Um, and we see him get dropped. Usually, he's able to come back and stuff like that. And you know, he's dangerous on the ground. I don't think he's dangerous enough to threaten someone like RDA. I still think he's very dangerous, especially in that clinch with his knees. Um, some of his overhead shots you have to watch out for. I think RDA tends to be able to uh, see those coming, though. Uh, the knees is where I would be most worried about in those clinch situations. Um, and Luke is a big welterweight, man. RDA's not small necessarily, but really he's kind of a, a larger lightweight, not a big welterweight. So um, this is a tricky one to pick. Um, originally, I think I had two units on RDA. Brian now is having me hesitating. I am going to pick RDA. Um, I'm not going to put two units. I'm just going to keep it straight here on RDA versus Luke. But uh, it, it's an interesting one. Not no. not not so clear in my mind. Yeah, it's fun. Father taking two way action on DraftKings Sportsbook, and our guys are split on the uh, main event. Any other preliminary selections, Brian Petrie? Before we let you fly. 
Yeah, so not for the not for the record because it, it, there's a lot of chalk on the undercard. It's a little bit lean on the undercard, but I do like Marcus McGee for the fans out there. Marcus McGee by knockout minus one fifty. That's a chalk number. J, over JP Bays here. JP Bays has been getting dropped in like every fight. He's really transitioned more to a coach role as opposed to a fighter. Marcus McGee coming off a great win himself. So little chalk at minus three sixty money line, but let's play him by knockout, boys. Let's let one fifty is, is playable. All right, good stuff. If you want more from Brian Petrie at Brian Petrie MMA, my man, appreciate your time. We'll talk to you in uh, less than a week, kid. Monday, August 14th. Buckle up. UFC 292 is Cannonball coming. Let's go, boys. See ya. All right, Brian Petrie with us for the Anakin Florian Podcast, the main event challenge every week here on the DraftKings Network and the DraftKings YouTube channel. By the way, Jeff Neal is out of that fight against Ian Gary. Appears as though Neil Magny is going to step in uh, against Ian Gary. So... Poor Jeff Neal, man. You know, like it's so interesting when you have some inside information and you see people pile on a guy that just can't stay healthy, you know, when he had that awful septic situation and was fighting for his life. So uh, shout out to Jeff Neal. And uh, thankfully, Ian Gary's remaining on the card because that's a huge showcase for him in, uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. Speaking of which, we will be back with two more episodes next week, including our UFC 292 preview. We will be back on Monday, August 14th to recap all this Vicente Luque, Rafael Dos Anjos business. And uh, also, if you do want to vote for the show to win the uh, the award for best MMA programming, worldmmaawards.com. And uh, don't forget, Kemflo Analyst of the Year, Longo Coach of the Year. We really got to get Longo to win that award somehow, some yes. way. Uh, so, uh, and then I'll leave you with this, Kenflo. So my son did his first jujitsu class and, uh, yeah, so we'll see if it sticks, right. They did sort of softly say that he's undersized and that maybe if he could get there a little bit earlier, he would have a little bit more individualized attention. Yeah. But all of the forward rolling and backward rolling in this gentle art, like my daughter is going to do a trial class next week, which warms my heart. She came and watched the whole thing. She's 12, right? Like I said to her, hey, like if you start to get fucking dizzy with all the forward rolling or the backward rolling at the beginning of the class when you're just trying to warm up, skip the last forward roll, right? Because she's captivated by all of it. But I'm just saying, Pahumpa, if you're listening, ATT West Palm Beach. For me, it's like everybody making fun of me sitting out on the curb drinking Gatorade. I'll fucking go run six miles, but I can't do 35 forward rolls before I learn a Kimura sweep or I'm going to throw up. Okay, so I, I, uh, however you want to do warm ups, that that's your business. However, I tend to take a very different approach to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu warm ups. I, I don't like doing any of that stuff. I think break falls is very important. Knowing how to fall, doing some rolls, I think, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. Doing a ton of them in succession, I think, is, is, um, I, I don't think it adds a whole lot of benefits because of those reasons that you talk about. And what you don't want to do is turn away kids or adults for that matter. And, and some of those things of like feeling dizzy before class, like jujitsu is hard enough. Let's not go nuts on that. Yeah. Teach them how to fall, teach them how to roll. Absolutely. Just, you know, some of the warmups I think can be a little bit silly in my opinion, but uh, I, I'm so, I'm so pumped. I was, I was very, uh, very happy to see that picture of, uh, a little hunter in there. That was oh, awesome. Dude. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, shout out to Kimura, BJJ, and Diego, just a fine instructor. And uh, I, ju- I will just say, in my limited experience, just the amount of love and TLC in these jujitsu environments, especially ones that cater to kids, is just so heartwarming. Yes. So much so that my 12 year old daughter wanted nothing to do with her cellular telephone. She was totally captivated by it. And uh, it just, it was not at all an intimidating setting, right? And so it's doing exactly what it sets out to do. 
right, is to not intimidate, right? Like it actually was the perfect setting to make my daughter want to do it. But uh, man, these forward rolls are fucking insane. All right, thanks everybody for supporting the show. Big things coming, of course, when it comes to the merchandise and on the website front. Uh, but thanks to everybody for uh, supporting the show, liking the show on the DraftKings YouTube channel. And uh, don't forget, allow Muhammad Jason Anik live with another episode of Remember the Show this Thursday uh, on the Anik and Florian podcast YouTube channel. Uh, thank you to Brian Petrie. Thanks to Ken Flo. Welcome home, kid. We'll talk to you on Monday. Buckle up. Go get your UFC 292 prep underway. Uh, Thanks to our producer, Cody Marrow with the screws. Thanks to every last one of you. We'll talk to you next Monday. Until then, you'll live. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.